0: Welcome to the Power Play podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances change the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights. With two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts. Who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living.
1: And welcome to
2: episode seven of the Power Play podcast. I'm joined today by, uh, sorry, I'm joined today as always by my co-host, Karen Powell. How are you, Kai?
1: I'm a bit sad. I'm obviously from from the events of the weekend um, with the Super Fifty, but very happy to have Will on. So not too bad.
2: And we've joined by a very special guest. Uh, will gaffney who's the co-founder sorry not the co-founder sorry the founder of the uh, bat for a chance foundation um so yes well thank you very much for joining us Um can you sort of go into a bit of detail about um the foundation obviously what you do and how it all came about
3: yeah sure cheers for having me on chats really appreciate it the, the pleasure's all mine um i guess uh to take you all the way back to the beginning where it started for me um uh, I was back in Sri Lanka around 2016 time, um, country pretty close to the hearts of you both, I'm pretty sure, um, where I was on cricket tour, um, playing against well, loads of sides all around the island. And I saw sort of the big thing that struck me was the lack of cricket equipment um, and also how powerful cricket is for so many people um, around the world. Um, and then reflecting on the tour uh, a couple of years later, at grand old age of uh, 14, um, I mustered up the, the confidence to start sending out some emails um, to tea plantations and foundations in Sri Lanka, pitching this idea essentially of collecting and recycling cricket equipment from from here in the UK, and then distributing it back overseas to Sri Lanka. Because, as I'm sure you guys are aware, um, equipment equipment is so expensive, so hard to come by, and a real uh, stumbling block for so many people looking to formally engage with the game. Um, after about six weeks or so, finally had back. Um, And leaped my parents into this sort of madness, crazy idea that I'd come up with. Um, And Back for a Chance was born. Um, We are now a fully UK registered charity, um, operating out of London here in the UK. Um, We sent shipments all around the world. Um, We've impacted over 15,000 people worldwide, four different continents, 60 plus causes. It's it's really grown over, over the past five years or so. Um I'm nineteen now and it's kind of been with me throughout my whole teenage years um and yeah, it's been a proper rollercoaster, but I really really love it a bit
2: now i can imagine um, so obviously this this idea came and obviously it's a you know it's a lovely um, you know thoughtful process in terms of what you're trying to you know, what you're trying to do but how did you actually get off the ground obviously I know you mentioned there you reached out to to a few people so who who was who sort of came back and how
3: did the ball get sort of rolling with that yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, I'm sure Kai will will agree with me here. Um, a lot of uh, luck comes from hard work and I think that's definitely something that I've found, you know, um, at the start for me, it it was very much reaching out to people, cold calling, writing cold emails, getting email addresses and contact information off, off the magical resource we have in the internet. And I'd probably say it took 50 emails to get one back just to start with that is. Um, and I think that's a sort of a fair fraction, a fair percentage. Um, and that's where I think things really took a change. So I heard back from uh, the MJF Foundation in Sri Lanka um, and they basically gave me, uh, introduced me to a guy called Alex Reese. um who's actually based out of New Zealand. Um, and he gave me like... Um, a list of sort of criteria that I needed to hit to make this happen, if you like. Yeah. Um, so he helped explain to me customs. He helped explain to me how much money am I might need to raise, what kind of equipment would be of most use, um, and, and how to go about it, um, which was really helpful, I guess, if you like, especially being even younger at the time then, to sort of have like four clear objectives and um, to go away, and really think about and do some research into was really helpful. Um, and then it's kind of just grown very embryonically from there. Um, our growth has been very natural um, over the past couple of years, um, so I, I hope that answers your your question. But I think oh, it, no, definitely, yeah, it does. So in terms, of obviously, where
2: you're at now, from you said you're there at 19 and and at 15, how how has it sort of how's your life developed outside of the back for a foundation? Sorry, back, back for a, um in terms of how how's your career path sort of gone so far aligned
3: with with this? um yeah it's been really interesting i think uh covid was probably a blessing in disguise for me um so it allowed me to essentially not go to school for two years um and get a freebie for my GCSEs and just basically pour all my heart and soul into this yeah um, if i'm being really honest (laughs) um and then the the big sort of thing for me has been how especially over the past sort of 18 months how far the charity has grown juggling that with school whilst i was at school i left the summer so just on my a-levels um and working out sort of how i would fit sort of meetings podcasts media pitching to various sponsors etc around my school life yeah Um, and that led to me i'm I'm quite i'm probably quite a disorganized person my mum would definitely say sort of in my nature but i had to become very structured and, and and I think I learned at the age of about sixteen that I needed my days to be properly calendared, otherwise I'd just be all over the shop. Um yeah. so yeah, the one big, great, big juggling act as I think most people's lives are these days.
2: No, I definitely I definitely get that. In terms of then as you as you got the momentum and you know, you're starting to develop sort of relationships around um various countries around the world. Which sort of country sort of, did you get your foot in that sort of allowed you to sort of develop a bit more sort of prominently?
3: I think so Sri Lanka has, has been a, a country of massive importance to us uh, as a charity. One, that's where it all began for me. And two, um, in sort of in lockdown, in about I think it was 2020, start of 2021. Um, we sort of had our, our breakout moment, if you like. Um, we did a big kick drop to the Foundation of Goodness um, uh, with their founder, Cushill, Um And they were set up in, well, they they sort of came to the fore off the back of the tsunami in the oh. early 2000s. And it's a phenomenal organization. They've got a whole host of sort of um, very high profile cricketers involved as, as sort of trustees and ambassadors. Um, and we did a big kit drop out to them um, during the England series, um, very sort of strategically timed so that we would pick up a bit of press and media for the first yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and we would have access to players and, and journals and bits and pieces. Um, and then Kumar Sangakkara basically did this incredible video with um, yeah. a camera explaining what we do, what the shipment's going to do for kids in, in rural bits of Sri Lanka. Um, and that sort of, I guess, was when we announced ourselves properly to the, to the cricketing space, um, uh, who we are, what we're trying to do, and, and has had a real yeah. impact on our, on our growth.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um I, I obviously I've seen the video that, that Kumar did, and I can imagine the impact that had um not just in within Sri Lanka but across the cricketing world itself. I think that yeah it really had that sort of power. Um so how how important have these sort of partnerships been and these sort of ambassadors that you've had um in terms
3: of the role that they played to help you really? And they've been crucial, I think. Um firstly they you know I'm young and I, and, I, and I have no way afraid of that, you know. And so especially sort of in the early stages, to lot of corporates and individuals, that was a bit scary. You know, I was a risk. Um, it's not every day you get a teenager knocking on your door asking you for money or support or resources or yeah. bits and pieces. But then all of a sudden, if you've got a Chris Jordan, our global ambassador, or Lydia Greenway, um, or a Dinesh Kartik, someone like that, backing you behind you very publicly on social media. It gives you a bit more kudos and gravitas. And then, who knows? Their kids might be talking about you. And when they go home and, and they're like, "Have you come across this charity?" Back for a chance, they're more likely to be say yes because they've seen us on social media, etc. Yeah. Bits and pieces like that um so it's been huge um and we try to also provide um experiences to our beneficiaries to engage with these people um you know it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and and the way we sort of dress it up is once a kit package arrives let's take Rwanda for instance um when it when it arrives and it's cleared through customs and it's being delivered it's like christmas for these kids you know yeah. brand new cricket equipment or high quality second-hand gears the, the smiles on their faces are, are second to none yeah um and then if you chuck in a cricketing, cricketing celebrity coming down or sending a video across on top of that, it's double whammy. And you're really starting to inspire some kids to kick on and, and the next generation of cricket. Um,
2: Definitely. I think, like, like you said, in terms of like, from a logistical perspective, have you, have you, how have you found that, you know, like you said, it's probably, it's getting the stuff is obviously um, tricky at times, but when you've got the stuff, how hard is it to distribute it around the world?
3: Um, it's, it's a massive challenge and, and and always has been since the inception um, of the charity. Customs is no easy feat anywhere in the world, no. let alone some of the places that we're trying to reach. Um, and that's always a battle. But um, I think it was... It was a problem which, well, a a challenge, if you like, which we identified very early on in the journey of the charity and have since then worked incredibly hard um, to partner with airlines and logistics logistics companies to underwrite all of our sort of air freight and and shipping costs. Um, So, you know, it's very rare that nowadays we pay for any of our shipping around the world. Um, Virgin Atlantic have been incredible over the past two years um, in underwriting most of our shipments globally. Um, And then we work with the Woodland group who are a part of um, Virgin's network um, to forward and and clear our kit through customs free of costs as well. So they'll absorb the customs costs. It's just a negotiating part and making sure that you've got all the forms and the relevant documents and you're in touch with the right ministers, et cetera, that kind of stuff. So the paperwork is pretty extensive, but it's it's very much worth it. And I think um, especially over the past two years, we really sort of got the knack of it. and have you always had that
2: sort, of, this sort of entrepreneurial side to you? Uh,
3: me, personally? I don't know. I think you'd be best ask, best off asking my mum. Um, yeah, I, you know, um, I think there's very much present throughout the charity. It's a, we try and uh, act as if we were a bit of a start-up organisation. Yeah. And the, the phrase we use internally is entrepreneurial zeal. We want to have entrepreneurial zeal going through everything we do. We want yeah. to do things differently, and we want to really make a stamp for being youthful, young, energetic, and a bit out of the box. Yeah. Um, and I think um, a part of me also thinks that in in the cricketing space in general, um, having a teenager trying to change things a little bit here and there um, makes is uh, is a point of view which often isn't heard, and, and potentially yeah. um, helps a little bit too, if that makes sense.
2: No, absolutely. I think yeah, sort of you were mentioning there about some of the the play, obviously with Sri Lanka and stuff. How being involved in sort of the worldwide side of things that you have, I bet you've seen sort of the real opportunities that cricket has from a worldwide perspective. So some of the obvious nations spring to mind like Sri Lanka and your Pakistan and your India. But where have you sort of seen a real? Um, interest in the sport where they are lacking that sort of uh, opportunity to sort of play due to sort of, you know, the financial situation that cricket sort of has?
3: It's a great question. Um, so if you look at the associate nations um, and I'm going to take Uzbekistan um, as an example, here. Uzbekistan borders Afghanistan. Right. Um, and as of recently, we've just helped them to establish their first ever women's cricket teams and men's cricket teams but our support was specifically focused on the women's teams right. um, they're just newly ICC registered and this is the first time cricket is being formally played they're being coached by an ex-Afghani test player um, who's uh, moved to the country um, and this is a country where there is simply no cricket shops you know there is no cricket equipment in in the country it just doesn't exist yeah um there's loads of it next door but there's none there's none there um let's go to uganda same story oh wow. impossible to find cricket equipment there's yeah. probably one or two retailers and then you've got to pay heavy customs fines heavy tra- transport costs just to get it into the country Um, even in the Caribbean it's pretty difficult to source as as I'm sure Kai will know it's really expensive as well Um, it's only I'd probably say countries like India, Pakistan England Australia and New Zealand uh, where cricket equipment is readily available um, because one it's either manufactured there or two it's much more affluent countries we're talking about in the case of the UK and Australia and New Zealand Um, so it's a massive issue and in some cases as I say the cricket equipment doesn't even exist
2: yeah that must be extremely fulfilling though when you're going into these sort of places like you're saying in Uzbekistan that sort of has, like I said, it doesn't have any access to, to cricket equipment. So you're not only providing them with cricket equipment, you're also op- giving them the opportunity to go and, um, you know, excel themselves in a sport where they're probably passionate for it because of the nature of where, of how, how sort of cricket is in that sort of um, part of the world. So it must be extremely full, you know fulfilling for yourself. With all the projects that you've done and um, you know, since you've been going through those, so how which ones it sort of stand out to you? It's the most sort of like wow, you know, I can't believe we've actually just achieved something like that.
3: Uh, it's like asking a father to pick their favorite child. That
1: um, <laughs> uh, maybe a bit easier than you think. That question.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, we've got a phenomenal project in Pakistan, which has had a, an incredible impact. Um, working with Eber Qureshi, who runs an, an amazing organisation called Fem Games, um, which is aimed at bringing the UK-based sports curriculum into Pakistan. Right. Um, so, so currently it's optional for girls to participate in, in sport and games nice. um, in Pakistan, but it's compulsory for the boys. So, quite frequently we don't see girls taking part, um, and that's what Fem Games aim to try and change. Um, and we've worked with them um, in schools in Islamabad um, to introduce cricket and four girls in the in these um, uh, game sessions, which are optional, give it in, in a safe, comfortable environment. And I'll send some photos over afterwards. Um, and then the reason why this this project really comes to mind is there's a story of a girl who was introduced to cricket through the work that we do with FEM games, uh, started playing, really really enjoyed it, and then goes home one day and asks her dad to take her to the local cricket club. And her dad is so taken aback by this because, you know, it's quite a male-dominated society um, and is thrilled uh, and now drives her 45 minutes every weekend to go and play with the boys in the local village club. Um, And that's the kind of impact that, you know, we're starting to have all around the world. Um, the The other one which really springs to mind is our Afghan refugee work across Europe and here in the UK. Um, very very powerful story in particular with the fall of Kabul a couple of years ago Um, as I'm sure you will have seen all the high profile Afghani cricketers and and Kai you you will have met a fair share cricket is the one thing that that brings them together in a a really really magical way and if you take someone who's experienced such trauma that some of these kids who've arrived here in the UK literally off the back of boats um, and you give them a bat and a ball and what that can do for a child's confidence, what that can do to help integrate them into society, into a cricket club, into a community here in the UK, whilst they're trying to find a new home in the first sort of couple of months of them being here, is pretty phenomenal. And I think those two stories really show the soft power, if you like, of one sport and two cricket, particularly for people from these backgrounds.
2: No, I, I, I'm taken back by that to be honest with you what you're saying I think that you can't help but put a massive smile on my face when you were sort of saying that and feeling so warm and it's you know an amazing thing to do and you, you know you must make so many people happy and and with the way you sort speak speaking about the Afghanistan situation it sort of takes the, the mind off what's going on and the fact that you know they can you can have that togetherness and that sort of, you know, uh, sport feeling that, well, that any sport has when it's a team environment. Really, so I think that's absolutely amazing. I, yeah, I'm taken back by it. I totally am. Um, I sort I of wanted to ask you. So your role as a um, a young ambassador for the MCC, what sort of, what what is it, How does that sort of work? How what? How does that role sort of play out?
3: Sure. So that was um, that was kicked off was two years ago, three years ago now. Um, And it was basically a fantastic way for me to sort of um, cement our relationship with the MCC's foundation. Um, So the MCC Foundation do incredible work transforming lives all around the world. And namely in East Africa and Nepal, the Lebanon, and then through their hub programme here in the UK. Um, and it has allowed me, through being a young ambassador, to help provide equipment to all of their projects globally. Um, so we've supported pretty much all of them um, around the world, along with um, setting up a scheme here in the UK, where all of their hub participants uh, for state-educated kids who want free access to cricket um, can apply for Cricket Kit direct from Back for a Chance, and then we'll basically deliver it to their next hub session um so that solves a massive barrier for them potentially having to come to the hub because the equipment's so expensive they might be embarrassed in the first place but now it's on offer and it's free which is even better um similarly working with them um supporting uh, syrian refugees in the lebanon has um, been really really cool through the project al-sama um and and also supporting some of their work in Nepal and pool in east africa so it's been um, fantastic and a, an opportunity. I'm, I'm so, so grateful to to have been, been given by Sarah and the team because um, it, it's really helped to build what is a really magical relationship between the two of us.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. And, um... I feel like I'm just going away myself here, Kai. Is there anything you want to ask?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to jump in here. Well, right. <laughs> um, obviously, you know, amazing, amazing story. Um, we've we've been in contact um, for quite some time now. Emma and I yeah. have known you from the beginning, and I think um, what's what's sort of pressing in my mind is obviously people are saying what you're doing, but I think if you can sort of explain to people what your your family background is and obviously, you know, the role that your your siblings or your mom and dad would have had on you. Because, I mean, obviously people can see what you do, but I think it's important to understand a family structure that sort of um, puts you in a position to want to do such an endeavour at such a young age. Yeah, no,
3: um, that's an, uh, an amazing question. Um, so it's just mum for me. My dad passed away uh, about a year ago now. Um, and I've been brought up um, in, in this kind of mindset that you act selflessly and you act for other people. Um, and my parents have been of enormous support for me um, throughout the whole process. I think uh, my mum's a trustee of the charity um, and she comes from a legal background. So that helps massively. You know, I've basically got a legal sounding board at home for all my crazy ideas. Um, and my brother loves his cricket. My sister is always around the house helping me sort cricket equipment and all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, And they have had to get quite used to having hundreds of cricket bats under the stairs and bits and bobs. Um, But they've never been anything but sort of supportive and and encouraging of my ideas. Um, And in particular, at the start, before we were in, well, still now, to be honest, but before we were in storage units and bits and pieces, um, all of their garage space and, and bits of their bedrooms would be taken up with cricket kit. Um, and they've never kicked up a fuss once. Um, so yeah, no, they've they've been massively important, and and we as an organisation certainly wouldn't be where we are today without, without um, their support and help. So no, yeah, been really important.
1: And how's it been for you? I mean, obviously as a teenager, you know, most teenagers are, are worried about trying to get away from mum, get away from dad, yeah. get away from the house. You know, obviously uh, juggling school life and all that. So I mean, obviously great maturity from you to be able to probably still want to do all of that, but still arrange this, you know, how, how difficult has that been?
3: It's been, it's been difficult to be fair. I think, um, uh, not to sort of just get like so wrapped up in it all. Um, I may, I've always made sort of like a quite a conscious decision to try and keep my school and personal life very separate from this, um, it's just I'm I'm quite a private person in, in general. Um so it was never something that I guess like was overly spoken about at school and it's certainly like the extent to which some of the activities that we were doing and and who we were working with and bits and pieces like that. Um but I I think over the over the past year or so in particular, I've really started to sort of strike a balance in between sort of playing and um, and fun and work, if that makes sense um but yeah no it's um you know you still got to be a teenager at, at times you got to go out the weekend have fun meet your mates and, and bits and pieces and that's definitely still a part of me that's a lot don't worry
1: <laughs> <laughs> and how how do you see your work sort of aiding in the impact of cricket's globalization because i mean cricket is currently the second largest sport in the world but we really truly are untapped in in pretty much all of the world you know it's basically um, the Asian population, fortunately enough, that we've got the main populous countries in Asia um, that are huge fans of the game. So yeah. I think, obviously, with, with the work that you're doing and the way that cricket is expanding now, obviously going into America, going into the Olympics, which is going to give it a huge global viewership, um, how do you think that your work, obviously, I mean, already going into countries like Uganda and Uzbe- Uzbekistan, um can expand into new regions and obviously help to grow the game in terms of providing kit for um, people without access to, as you said, manufacturing kit in in their regions.
3: That's a great question. I think um. Uh, the role of of grassroots cricket in some of these places is going to be huge. Um, So you mentioned, um, uh, let's take America, for instance. At a high level, Major League Cricket has done a phenomenal job. The views and and the numbers are incredible on paper. But I'd be really interested to then go and have a look at actually what it's done for grassroots participation in cricket. And that's where my interest lies. Um, So I think from a a grassroots perspective, um, it's huge. You can't play cricket properly, especially hardball cricket, um, without proper equipment. Um, And I think the the potential in countries like, uh, well, in in continents like Africa, and I think Rwanda is a fantastic example here, what cricket can do and how quickly cricket has grown um, in Rwanda is pretty phenomenal. Um, They've got an incredible stadium that's been built by another UK-based charity. Um, They've done incredibly well. Um, in sort of ICC domestic competitions. Um, and I think that's starting to be picked up. If you look at Fairbreak at, at the women's tournament, the franchise women's tournament, you know you saw that there was a Rwandan representative who took a hat-trick, bowling out some of the best female cricketers in the world. And I think that shows actually um, how quickly cricket's on the rise in Africa and actually how um, crucial that grassroots development, which we're here to support, has been in developing some pretty serious talent, which is now being shown on, on the global stage. Um, so for us, it's all about grassroots game, how we how we can get young people and young adults playing the game um, in, in areas where it might not
1: otherwise be, if that helps. <laughs> No, that's amazing. um, obviously, you're a cricket fiend, just like Jordan and I um, You have to be sort of a cricket lover to to want to do something you know that's obviously not what people deem financially rewarding, you know but the, the the reward that you're giving to people is obviously much bigger than a numerical value um but it's interesting to me what what are your passions outside of cricket you know what what sort of your i guess career um perspectives? Um, so
3: I love my rugby as well. It's cricket and rugby for me. So, um, uh, I play, uh, I play a fair bit of rugby as well. Um, so sport has always been like a massive part of my life growing up. Um, it was kind of like my thing. I think, um, I like music as well. I DJ a bit. Um, and, and that's kind of like my way of switching off. I just go and get lost in the music if you like, um, uh, and, and blow down the house until one in the morning, but, I think um, uh, and from like a career perspective, I don't know. Um, I'd love to do something in this field, um, not necessarily in cricket, but I think uh, the NGO space or something along those lines, um, you get a real sort of buzz. And I don't think anything is ever going to be as rewarding as actually impacting and changing yeah. someone's life. So it's going to be pretty difficult to 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 step away from that. What that looks like, I've got no idea to be honest. Um, but yeah I just wanted to
2: quickly ask you like from the perspective of um, obviously doing this from the, such a young age to you're now, from a business perspective what have you what have been the biggest takeaways that you've taken from doing this so far
3: uh, that's a, a cracking question I, I've learned so much um, and I really enjoy that sort of corporate business side of things. It fascinates me. Um, and it, I'm constantly learning new things on the go and trying to seek advice from, from people far, far wiser than I am. I think... Um, the best piece of advice I was ever given um, was probably by a chap called Omar, um, who's my chairman, um, and he, he, he rang me up one day and basically just said, you've got to keep this focused. You've got so many amazing ideas, and, and that's not surprising given how young you are, et cetera, but we've got to keep this focused. and You need to choose one or two things which you know you can deliver on um, and then sort of go from there. Um, because if you lose your focus and you try and stretch yourself too thin too early on, <laughs> uh, and then it just doesn't happen and and it falls through um so that is has been um, a massive sort of underlying theme of, of the charity and and the second thing i would say is um from a corporate perspective under promise and over deliver you know and um, when you're working with corporate sponsors outline the things which you know you can you can agree on and you can give to them sort of as a matter of fact um but then over prom- under, over deliver what can you do more? What's not in the agreement which is going to boost them and increase the chances of you renewing that agreement next year? Um, that's a massive motto for us as as a charity as well. Um, definitely, no.
1: really no. Well, we've done some work with the Foundation of Goodness as well out in Sri Lanka um, quite a few years ago. So when you when you said that, um, obviously the name Kushil and, and what they're doing, they obviously rang rang home to me. Um, I think it's it's important not to sort of forget the the importance of what you're doing so if there's anything that we can sort of do to to help you um in terms of obviously increasing the viewership or the awareness around around what you're doing on on a global stage um if you can just mention that to us here that would be that would be amazing
3: yeah of course i think um just following our social media pages And and talking to your friends and family about about back for a chance as a a charity. Not necessarily my story. It's not about me. It's about the people we're trying to help. Um, So you know that's the big thing for me. Word of mouth is huge, and word of mouth marketing you can't beat it. Um, So following us on socials and going from there, and then donating if you can. Um, All our just giving links and donating pages are really easily accessible and designed to sort of just be a click of a button, and there you go. And We're running a big sort of World Cup fundraising appeal at the moment. Um, And we've got a massive, massive fundraising goal of 100 grand by the end of the year. We're at 75 grand at the moment and we're doing a big Christmas push. Um, So we hope to get there soon. Oh, fantastic. Okay.
2: Well, so in terms of obviously like, yeah, in the um, in our when we post this, we'll obviously put the links in the YouTube page to your site and the social channels. Um, thank you. Give plenty of people, sorry, give everyone an opportunity to sort of follow the links and make sure that if they do want to donate, they can do. Um, but obviously, from my perspective here, I just want to thank you so much for joining um, me and Kyron tonight. I think it's you know it's been a real insight for me, but also to hear. Some of the stories and things, well all of the stories, to be honest with you um, I think it's an amazing thing that you're doing um like Kai mentioned, it's a sport that we we all feel so passionately about and the fact that you're going above and beyond to to give everyone well all these sort of countries around the world access to play the sport we love is, is, a, is a really is a you know a, a great <clears throat> a great job that you're doing, and I can't thank you enough and it's been great to have you on tonight.
3: No, thank you guys. I really really appreciate it. It's
1: very kind. No, thank you very much. Yes, we really appreciate you, as, as Jordan said, and continue to do amazing work, um, continue to spread joy. Um, be Father Christmas all year round for <laughs> all <laughs> lovers around the world. Super.
0: Cheers, guys. Thank you very Cheers. much.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast, hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business. Exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present, alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device, or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play podcast.